Hey, listeners, it's Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. Simone Morris is the CEO of Simone Morris Enterprises, LLC, which is a certified minority and women-owned business enterprise. And Simone is joining me on this episode to have a discussion around diversity and inclusion in the workplace. This is clearly a topic we should be talking more about. And just, just to let you know, this is, there are really sort of two parts to this episode. We originally recorded with Simone a few months back, and, and then we had her back on recently because we wanted to address the issues that we're facing as a, as a nation right now um, around r- racial uh, injustice and, and how that might impact the, uh, the conversations we're having in the workplace. And so the first part of the episode you're going to hear is actually the one that we recorded just a couple of days ago, uh, where you'll hear us talk about George Floyd and the movement uh, that that has followed, um, and then the second half is going to actually be the original conversation that we had with Simone. So, just wanted to kind of explain that a little bit. You'll you'll understand when you listen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this discussion. Here's the first part. Simone, thank you for joining us for a follow up conversation. Uh, we first recorded a few months ago, and so much has happened since then, and especially in the past few weeks that. We really couldn't release the original episode without having you back to discuss these recent events and specifically how they might impact things at work. So again, really appreciate it. How have you been doing? Thank you for asking. I've had days. It's been a heavy season, really, where, uh, you know, just when you think you've pulled yourself together, there's some additional news to knock you back down a bit emotionally. So for me, It's been an emotional journey, especially since this is the work that I do and it's pushing against that work. So today is a good day. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a season because there is so much change that needs to happen and that is being pushed to happen that this is not the same as before it's it's time for change really jeff so uh, let's just you know kind of talk a little bit about uh, you know in light of what happened with with george floyd and other events and and uh, the resulting you know call it protest or a movement uh like we were just talking about that that has followed and that continues to to happen what kinds of conversations should we be having in the workplace about this? Should I guess first question: Should we be having these conversations in the workplace, and and what kind of conversations do we need to be having? A great question, Jeff. And I have always thought that when companies ask people to bring their whole selves to work, um, do they really mean it? Uh, because you know, if you do really bring your whole self and all the trials and things that are happening that impact how you're able to show up at work and perform, et cetera, then, you know, (laughs) it would be huge. And so now companies are being forced to introduce the external into their walls, if you will. Companies that don't have the conversation or allow the conversation to happen are going to be challenged because I think we can see the diversification of the people that are protesting. So it's not just one race. People are getting on board uh, nationally, globally, and protesting racial injustice. So to show up at work and, and pretend you know, I can't talk about this because politics, religion, uh, you know, racial injustice, that's off limits and let me keep it professional is unrealistic at this point. So what companies can do is sort of set some guidelines or, or create safe space for the conversations to happen. And now keep in mind that they're not going to be able to change all employees. They can provide tools, um, spaces, but it's up to each individual to work on themselves because in the end they leave work and can become a totally different person outside of that environment again. So saying nothing or not addressing it is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And I, I, I'm sure that a lot of people are, are feeling a little uncomfortable and just don't know where to start. 
with these conversations. So how, what's your advice on that? How do we, how do we even begin to, to have a conversation with a, with a coworker about, uh, about this? Well, I think seeing your coworker as a human being and not just a black person, if that's what you mean, it's like you can have a conversation with a coworker that's not a person of color who deeply cares. And, and by the way, your coworker, their family could be very diverse. So it's not apparently obvious that, um, you know, they care, but they do. And so I think, you know, the first thing is not to segment that I must just talk to people of color about this. Everyone must be talking about this because it's impacting the entire world. And there is going to be unrest until there is a better balance of equality. Um, so, you know, how do you check in with a coworker? You just did that beautifully. We're not coworkers, but you know, I'm a guest on the show and you afforded the courtesy of, hey, Simone, how are you doing today? That's it. You don't need to make it awkward and like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know the first thing about Black Lives Matter. I don't know what to say. I, I tell people, if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. I just want to acknowledge that I see what's going on and, and it's not right. I don't know what else to say, but I want you to know that I see it. And how are you doing today? Just like you did, that's it. Yeah, I guess you, when you say that, it, it sounds simple, but it's still probably for a lot of people uncomfortable. And we, we have to, uh, we would say, well, that's not a, it's not just a one digital saying, it's a, but the idea of getting comfortable being uncomfortable, I, I think is something that we're all sort of getting used to now, or we should be. I think that's an excellent point, Jeff, and it is going to be uncomfortable. And yeah. uh, if you think about it, it has been uncomfortable for black people for a long time. You know, I remember being in information technology and being the only black person in the room and going to whether it was a conference or a meeting or whatever, and just being uncomfortable, but sucking it up and just, you know, putting on a brave face uh, to fit in. So I think there is going to be some uncomfortableness. Let's acknowledge that. But mm -hmm. you can fight your way through the uncomfortable to get to comfortable. So for the, for the conversations that have to be had and that we should be having, and, and maybe even especially for if, if we're going to have a, a conversation in a group setting, a team meeting, a team huddle um, uh, with, with the office, uh, do you recommend that, that you, do, do we have to have a trained diversity and inclusion expert lead that conversation or or would it be even better if the leader of that organization or that group take take the reins and, and, and lead the conversation? I think it depends, Jeff. It depends on what the objective of the meeting is. Is the objective of the meeting just to listen to what employees have to say? And are you prepared as a leader to hear what they have to say so it depends because very quickly if you're not prepared with your answers or your stance about what it is the organization plans to do it could go in a different direction so when you decide to have this meeting to listen and and to acknowledge that you care be prepared that people are going to want to know yes you're you're saying that how are you going to walk your talk what is the organization prepared to do? You're gonna to have to look at things like recruiting. And even if it's a 10,000 feet, thinking about that and how that's going to change based on what's happening or what you plan to do, be prepared with answers around recruiting, answers around retention. What does your board look like from a diversity standpoint? Is there no diversity on your board? Be prepared to answer. How can you stand here and talk about you care about Black Lives Matter when you have no board diversity. So if you as a leader do not feel strong enough to field questions, go in with support so that you can be supported, but also go in vulnerable to say, you know, I don't know that yet. You know, I am here to support. There are things like the CEO Action Committee, which is an organization, an association, if you will, uh, of CEOs across different industries who 
have said, we are going to integrate diversity and inclusion into our organizations. So now if you go to that website, you can look for CEOs that have said, we're committed to Black Lives Matter and here's what we're going to be doing in our organization. That could be a resource for leaders to go and look at and to kind of get some ideas and say, you know what, this is something that we can get on board with and these are some changes that we're willing to make in our organization. It, it sounds like really uh, we the, the leadership of an organization, it starts there, right? And that before you even have the conversation with maybe your team as a, as a, as a line manager, uh, that the leadership has to get help from the experts um, in, in having a, a, a strategy for how they as an organization are going to make change and, and commit to change. Um, so, the, so the expertise really has to come first, it sounds like, maybe. No, I'm, I'm saying that um, they should ensure that they have the right support. Yeah. If they want to be the face of the organization leading the conversation, then yeah. that's fine. And I'm saying that they should be prepared to be vulnerable about blind spots that they possibly have and about concerns that people have about the organization truly meaning what it's saying. You know, and I wrote an article uh, recently, it's on my website, and I said, you know, companies are putting out statements and people are scrutinizing the statements that they're putting out, right? So mm -hmm. companies like Twitter is putting out a statement, Nike, Ben & Jerry, uh, Starbucks, let's think about Starbucks. Starbucks has gotten a ton of backlash, right? They ha have had a bumpy road with diversity and inclusion, closing their, um, I think it's uh, 180,000 stores and doing bias training. And then they, you know, they got lauded for the excellent work of pivoting very quickly. They have a chief diversity officer. And now during this time, they're getting flack again because there is pushback on the apparel that employees wear to work. Yeah. So even though they have um, made the commitment, they're being scrutinized. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's there, there's going to be, you know, um, not trying to make excuses, but but there'll be bumps along the way, even for those organizations that think that they've <laughs> they've got it figured out. Um, that you have, it, it's an ongoing process, right? It is, and all sorts of diversity dimensions are appearing in the picture, things that you traditionally would not talk about. Listen, I do not, I have been taught not to talk about politics, right? And so I remember when President Obama got elected, and I remember being at the water cooler, if you will, at work, and someone coming up to me and saying, you must be pretty happy about this. And I just kind of was uncomfortable like you talked about before because I didn't want to go there with the conversation and talk about politics but I recognize that other people were talking about but I was just uncomfortable talking about it now we can't ignore politics and what's going on because it's impacting uh, what's happening in the country so those types of conversations are going to sort of seep into the workplace as well uh, Simone, how, uh, uh, what can organizations, companies do to, to demonstrate, you talked about support a number of times, so, so how does a company demonstrate their support and alliance with, uh, with black and brown employees? I think acknowledging that they care, acknowledging that um, there has been some inequity in the organization, looking at their organization for opportunities to create, to walk the talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion, because you, you can have, like we said, chief diversity officer, employee resource groups, and still have employees feeling like there is a problem with inclusion here. So first of all, the opportunity to listen and hear. So I've, talk to some colleagues who are talking about courageous conversations at work. So getting the information so that you can decide what to do with the information that you've gotten. Maybe it's putting together a task force to focus on this because you can't just be, put out a statement, do some diversity and inclusion training, and that's it. That's not going to fly this time. 
This right. is going to be an ongoing process that is going to require accountability and not just accountability internally. People are going to be watching for how companies are showing up. So if you think about a company like Reddit and um, the board of directors, uh, Alex Ohanian gave up his seat on the board and said, uh, please give my seat to a black person, right? So it's going to take bold action in terms of changes to get people to trust and believe that what you say is actually true. Well, that's why I, I think you said it's going to be a season, and 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 I, I hope it's more than that. It's to your point. It's it, it it can't be just you know oh we're gonna you know we're gonna spend a month on this and and then put it on the back burner again. That that just isn't enough. Absolutely, that's not gonna work this time. So uh, it, it just, it sounds like employers really need, and individuals, you know, kind of, uh, kind of probably need some help with this, Simone, right? So what, what I, I know that there are resources, some, some of which you, you offer to help folks, to help leaders, to help organizations, to help individuals uh, um, get better, you know, be better. Um, navigate through this successfully. Can, can you talk about some of those resources available that, that people can, can tap into? Absolutely. I have written an article on my website. It's uh, simonemorrisenterprises.org on the blog. And uh, it's about 24 ways that companies can help in the fight against racism. So the things that they can do is um, look at supplier diversity it's not just about the employees that you work with who are you sourcing your materials from who do you have a supplier diversity program do you have board diversity are you listening to resource groups affinity groups or resource groups and what they're saying or you know are they more of a uh, cultural education um, vehicle so there is an opportunity to further listen to these groups in terms of impacting how the organization can morph during these times. Um, again, if you look at that article that I've written, there are a ton of resources in there. And what I have done is I've started to set up panels. I get a lot of people asking me, I don't know what to do in this scenario. And so I've set up these panels that you can come to, uh, it's free, and learn. We've had the first one two weeks ago. There's one next week on June 25th. And it's bringing together diversity leaders, experts to share their knowledge about racism and the challenges we face right now, as well as strategies that you can use in the fight to help in the fight. I, I've even written an article about introverts because I've noticed that there are certain people who remain silent and right now, when you remain silent, it's, it's uh, your voice is heard, even if your voice isn't heard. It's sending yeah. a message. So you want to get ahead of that and shift the narrative. So if you are in support, but you are an introvert and not really saying something, you've got to find a way to share your support, lest you be thought of as complicit in what's going on. So there's yeah. lots of resources available. Well, I think that's a great point for, for, for people. I mean, believe it or not, I, I feel I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. And, uh, we probably don't have time to get into this, but, you know, how, how does, first of all, we shouldn't jump to conclusions ever about anybody. So, so if someone's not speaking loudly, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not with you, right? But, but, um, but I, I think maybe I, I should probably get. Are those panels, Simone? Um, the, I'm assuming that they're um, they're remote. That it's uh, it's online. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, the one that I did last week, we I can provide the link to it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, you can watch it. I have it on my YouTube channel. So uh, yes, it's remote via Zoom. Back to um, what you said, Jeff. You're right. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Right. You're right that's happening anyway uh, from a racism standpoint, right? So I, I think back to what you said, you have to figure out your comfortable way of showing your support and you have to share it. You can't just keep it to yourself saying, I, I, I'm in support of this. 
and I believe it's wrong and the buck stops there. You, you just can't do that during this time. And I've had people reach out to me behind the scenes and have a conversation with me. And I actually was glad that they did because I didn't hear anything. So now when I spend dollars, I'm asking people, what is your stance on Black Lives Matter? Because the dollar, it, there's going to be an economic impact of the dollar. On July 7th, there's going to be a buy black only. And, you know, back to how people could help, you could support that initiative and put your economic dollars towards black owned businesses. But yeah. it, there's the thought process is going to be different with, um, is this person my friend? Is this, is this person my ally? Um, do they care about me? Yes, you're an introvert. I, Myers-Briggs says that I'm an introvert, right? That's my preference. I am an introvert. So I have to fill up after I pour out. But I have gone through things like Toastmasters to be better about using my voice to speak up. I have taken up a pen and, you know, a pen, so to speak. I've been writing more articles about my thoughts on what's happening. So you can find your vehicle. And I've had people say to me, well, I don't know what to do. And, you know, and, I, and we talk about books. Hey, start with books. Start with, if you have children, start with diversifying the library that they have, uh, sharing information, the movies you watch, the places you go to eat food. Start broadening your cultural competency so you can know how to show up and support the people that you care about. Yeah, so it, it's, it takes an investment. Every, everyone's going to invest uh, a little bit in this, uh, is what you're saying. Yes. And, and you can help them invest. You've got the resources. I think it's worth you repeating and making sure everyone understands that, that your email address is simonemorrisenterprises.org, correct? Yes, the website is uh, simonemorrisenterprises.org. And uh, I have a couple of things going on. Not only do I have the racism panels going on, which are very impactful, it's an impactful hour, but also I have this program that's starting next week and it's called Build Your Inclusive Leadership Muscles. And the, the premise behind that is the organization is going to change. What we're going to see is as a core capability, inclusive leadership. Just like bachelor's degree became the standard, I believe that inclusive leadership is going to become a standard capability. So when you go to look for a job, they're going to be trying to measure how you demonstrate your inclusive leadership skills. So in terms of getting ahead of that, I've put together a program and it's a six week program that people can sign up for on my website, simonemorrisenterprises.org and go through a cohort with other people willing to learn more about diversity and inclusion, uh, best practices, how can I walk the talk as an organization? So that's coming up, uh, it starts next week on the 23rd. Great, uh, I, I, know, I know we have to go, it's, it's, it's uh, our time together is almost up, but I'll tell you this, we, we, did, a, we, we did a podcast quite a while ago on uh, the millennials in the, in the workforce and, you know, and what they look for when they're considering where to go to work. And uh, resoundingly, the, the panel that we had of, of young folks just entering the workforce said, we are looking for organizations that truly, truly embrace and support diversity and inclusion. Uh, I, I think uh, it seems to me, this is just my observation, that, that, that the, the younger generations uh, millennials and, and, and the next one after that, forgetting the name of it, but it's been a while, but um, are, are demanding, are, are, are demanding that, uh, that, that they don't want to go to work someplace that's not, uh, that, that is not embracing diversity and inclusion. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see that with the protests that are going on, Jeff, the yeah. involvement and in some cases the diversity of the millennials that are leading the charge with uh, organizing peaceful protests in this way. It, it is a very different time. And I think yeah. it's Gen Z. <laughs> Gen Z, thank you. <laughs> it's 
It's early for me. Yeah, we no, talked about it. that. Likewise, I get it. <laughs> well, thank, again, I can't thank you enough for spending more time with us. I, it's, I think this was the right thing to do to, to uh, come back and visit this topic, and I really appreciate it. And everyone, please just go to SimoneMorrisEnterprises.org, and then all the resources available to you in the uh, um, through that, you'll be able to find there. It's, it's, uh, we should all get on there. Now, let's turn to the conversation I had with Simone around diversity and inclusion in the workplace a few months back. All right, well, let's dive into this topic, Simone, and, and to, I'll start by asking, what are some challenges that you see with inclusion today? I think it is really tough to be inclusive, and uh, we all need to be intentional about being inclusive, and we are going to mess up along the way because you can talk about having a diversity and inclusion strategy, yet have behaviors that signal exclusion. So one of the things that I think about often is me wanting to switch functions and move from a tech space over to HR. I have a tech background and I really tried to break into HR, diversity and inclusion, but I had a hard time convincing people in particular in the HR space to give me an opportunity because of my diverse background. So what I'm saying is that that happens more often than we'd like to think where people are passionate and pushing the DNI strategy, yet behaviors signal exclusion. So I was being uh, sort of boxed into, oh, you have systems, HR systems, that's a good place for you to break in. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to sit down and have the conversations about culture in the organization and be a part of that strategy and moving it forward. But I felt some pushback. Right. And when I go around and I, I speak on inclusion, I ask people in the audience to tell me, raise your hand, how many of you ever have ever felt excluded? And I'm so surprised at the number of hands that come up and people actually send me emails to tell me that they feel excluded in their organization. So I think it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, probably for a wide variety of, of, of reasons. And we'll probably talk about how sort of broad this topic of inclusion and diversity is. It goes far beyond race and ethnicity. Absolutely. Today, right. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But you mentioned, you know, having a diversity and inclusion strategy. And I, I kind of wonder, my, my, so how many do we know like how, what percent of companies actually have a clear strategy for being an inclusive organization? I, I think we'll, we're seeing a lot more companies now. Yeah. For example, if you go on LinkedIn and you search for the position Chief Diversity Officer, mm -hmm. which did not exist many years ago, now it's amazing how many people have that position that is solely their job and not it's lumped on as a piece of another part of HR responsibility that you have. If you look at Diversity Best Practices or Diversity Inc., they'll talk about the top 50 companies who are doing it right in the DNI space, the companies that get it right, yet some of those companies still have some challenges because they can't control everything. Mm -hmm. I say all that to answer your question and say it's a lot more focus on this area because we cannot ignore it. It is at every turn. Look at what's happening with politics, how diversified that space is at this time. Yeah, you know? still a lot of work to do there. Well, though. yes, even with the DNI, there's yeah. still a lot of work to do. Well, then the question is, does an organization have a stated uh, diversity and inclusion policy because they feel like they have to or because they see the real benefit in that? Why would an organization want to pursue inclusion and diversity as a clear strategy for the organization? What are the benefits of that? Sure. I, I think it's a game changer. It's a competitive advantage. Um, I think it's McKinsey that has a study around uh, organizations that perform better uh, by having an inclusive uh, workforce and leveraging that. So it keeps them out of trouble. It also tends to generate a better organizational performance a better bottom line is it, that it? it does it does part of it traditionally it is that it's the right thing to do to have that dni strategy and companies that are not doing it we can see how it's costing them money not to do it 
everybody likes to bring up the Starbucks example where, I mean, they, they hunkered down immediately after there was noise over the incident in Philadelphia. I mean, they shut down 168 stores and everybody got this, you know, this training. So we can see what happens if you don't attack it immediately because there was going to be a greater impact to their bottom line if they didn't get on top of it. There's some of these financial services firms where they were being sued for uh, racial discrimination or it's whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So you are right that they need to be proactive to not cause things to go awry, but also from a com competition standpoint, to get the right talent in. Mm -hmm. The kids that are growing up today, they're already into the mix of the DNI thing. So, um, you know, they're expecting that. And if they're coming to your organization and it's solely one way and not inclusive, they're going to have a problem with that. Yeah. You're looking at your values. Do you have inclusion as a value? And that's becoming important to, att to attract talent. The products that you bring to um, market customers are looking at who do you have delivering the product and what do you stand for? So it, it, it is not just about doing the right thing or to be proactive to avoid a lawsuit. It's more than that. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at, I mean, I've met colleges and universities are probably some of the most diverse institutions in our country that you can find that speculating, right? Some so, of them, yes. Some of them, and, not all of them though. Well, you're hearing in the news about trouble with some of the universities. So yeah. universities are now having people that are earmarked specifically, not just on this diversifying the kids that are coming into college, but the staff, what they're teaching, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Right, and so my point is that if, some, if, if particularly you're hiring and you're looking for a, someone with a college degree and someone coming right out of college, they're coming from an environment, most likely, that's fairly diverse. And so, it, it, right, it would be strange for them to then go into a workforce that is not celebrating and, and, and leveraging diversity and inclusion. I, I get what you're saying. I just yeah. don't want to agree with that, with the assumption that there is. Yeah, I'll make plenty of bad assumptions. Yeah, so you there is this great mix in, yeah. the, in the college space because yeah. I think there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah. And so I don't want, you know, one of the things around the DNI thing and bias or whatever is around assumptions. Yeah. So just to check the assumptions that, assuming they're they're having this experience in college, they might not be, it it might not be, be outside true. of that college space that they're having that mix, whether it's online, who they're connecting with. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you please correct me when I'm, when I'm wrong. <laughs> Different <laughs> it, perspective. It, it, ha wrong. it happens occasionally. So, so what are some strategies that human resources departments can use to, to be more effective in, in, I'll call it winning, when it comes to inclusion? Yeah, that's a great question. I think really taking a risk on talent shifting perspective around the conversation of that high performer. Because I think about it like I think about the SATs. Everybody doesn't do well in a environment of taking tests or presenting themselves. It does not mean that they're not that high performing talent. So really being willing to take a risk on talent. Mm -hmm. Give people a chance to prove themselves. Give them opportunities to shine. A perfect place for that is an employee resource group where there's lots of people with a lot of passion playing in the ERG space or business resource group or affinity group space. They are bright stars that are untapped. And so they may not fall into that nine box or whatever the talent, high performing talent situation is, but there's an opportunity to really capitalize on that talent. So I would say that's one thing that companies could do is to really take more chances on talent, internal talent, because there could be noise about the company is trying to diversify the workplace. So they're bringing a lot of talent in. What about us? What about the people that are here? So really making sure that you have opportunities to leverage your internal talent and take chances on them, but also take chances on people that you're bringing into the organization. And if I'm hearing you correctly, that you should be making those decisions solely based on, on how you've assessed that person in terms of their aptitude and the talent that they're going to bring to the table. Right? Well, I, I think there may be other factors at play. So to be a bit more open 
yeah. open to taking a risk. Yeah, yeah. Which sometimes we don't want to do, especially if there is um, data from different departments or whatever saying this person, you know, they're inept at presenting themselves, but there's something there. Yeah. And I think just partnered or in the right environment, you can spot opportunity. Right, right. So then go with your gut a little bit. If you see that something, you know, maybe yeah, just take a chance, right, give somebody yeah. a chance because yeah. chances are someone gave you a chance yeah. when you were starting out. Side note, I actually took a cognitive uh, a cognitive assessment today. <laughs> it was what like, was your finding? It was horrible. I was like in the 17th percentile. Like <laughs> anyway, uh, so so how do you actually Simone, work with companies then to, to help them become more inclusive? What what things do you do and how do you help companies win in this in this area? Sure. Like for example, a company hired me to take a look at their engagement survey data, and they were concerned about some of the responses. It wasn't where they wanted it to be. So they hired me to come in. First of all, I took a look at the data and uh, assessed it and made a recommendation. One of the things we did was we did focus groups. So I came in and I facilitated some focus groups with the multicultural talent and had conversations, authentic conversations about What's really happening here? What does this data really mean? Well, was this already a, a um, multicultural workforce? Yeah. It was. Okay. Yeah, it was. But engagement but, but was the, not good. Right. The, the responses, it's like doing an employee engagement survey yeah. and then getting the data and being like, what is this? You know, where did this come from? Right. So I think there were some shocking results on the survey that they wanted to get to the bottom of. So I was hired to come in and really have conversations, yeah. create a safe space where people were willing to show up and say, say their truth to put some more um, flavor on what the responses were in the engagement survey. So I did that and then I made recommendations to the executive team on what they could do. Yeah. First of all, what did this data mean? Was it really true? Yeah. What are some solid examples about you know, what's happening in the workplace that caused these responses to come in? And then make recommendations to the team. So, so engagement's a huge word today in every organization. We know that engaged employees are going to be more productive and committed and, and do better work. And it's going to be so. Are there engagement challenges that are different for a diverse workforce than for one that is that is not so diverse? Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're bringing these different perspectives, and just think about you. You know, if you take the labels off diversity and inclusion, and you think about friends that you have that are different, and you have conversations, there's challenges with communicating. So there could be communications challenge that lead to engagement challenges. So, so there's tons of benefits to having a diverse workforce, but you have to be cognizant that it also creates these other almost you know, challenges that you have to be mindful of and, and there's ways to leverage that diversity, but, but you need to kind of be cognizant of it. I think that's well said because what's happening with each of us, we're bringing our experiences. Like I use the term uh, baggage, life experiences that we bring with us. So we show up at the workplace and it's not, that's not just it. We're bringing the rest of ourselves with us, whether we show it authentically or not. Yeah. And it factors into conversations that we're having, say, Say I have some sort of outside interaction with someone and it didn't go well and it was a negative experience that stayed with me. Now I'm faced with someone who looks that particular way and, and I'm having to communicate and work with them mm -hmm. and I'm trying to stay away from this baggage that I have but I can't. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't say it because this is the workplace. That stuff is showing up and causing an impact on the workplace as well. Yeah, so, do you, so you have to create a workplace where it's safe to talk about things and be candid and open about about that quote-unquote baggage as you put it is that right exactly but it, it you know jeff if you think about things that are happening in the world it's like leave it at the door and come into the organization and do your work yeah but it's hard to leave it at the door and mm -hmm. what's happening is people are bringing it in with them but just not identifying that it's there and it, it, it impacts who they are when you communicate with them work with them etc yeah I'm going to go way off on a tangent a little okay. bit here, but, uh, but so today, in today's environment, is political diversity a, a challenge, like, like using people with different perspectives, and you know, we're so sort of polarized politically right now, 
Is that creating challenges in the workplace? Why don't you today? answer that question? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> no, no, because I, I. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I. I have to answer my own question. <laughs> No, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to know what you thought first. Uh, no, I think it does. I think I think it's I think it's anything that's kind of potentially divisive. I think creates challenges in the workplace around diversity and being a place where you can, where you have to sort of walk that fine line between. I mean, you don't want people to get into a, a heated debate about politics and workforce, and yet, you know, you need to celebrate the fact that everyone's coming at this from a different angle. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that politics is definitely one of those. I probably topics. just showed my low cognitive. Uh, no, 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 no. So <laughs> politics is one of those um, topics that scare the bejesus out of people in terms of having a conversation and showing their true cards at work because of what their beliefs are and yeah. what the other person might think about their belief system. So yes, it's causing an impact. Yeah. Um, whether someone states it or not, it's lingering. You know, just like I was talking about before, it's lingering there. Yeah. Yeah. You can, and you it, can it, just snap your fingers and get rid of it. No, and it's like it's like the gun conversation. You know, based on my belief system about that, how I was raised, etc. I I then have a hard time having a conversation with someone else who is you know pro whatever on guns and wherever that conversation could go. Yeah. So I'm gonna stay away from that conversation and how I show up potentially. Mm -hmm. Where we went here is that diversity and inclusion is way more than just about, and I, and I think I just mentioned this briefly before about ethnicity and race. And it gets down to things like just your overall perspective and life experience and maybe socioeconomic status and I mean, it's just such a broad topic, isn't it? It is in the training space, because I also teach, and in the training space, they call it diversity dimensions, where the primary dimensions are what you were talking about with the race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, physical ability. But then there's the secondary dimension, and you kind of went there with what you were talking about with diversity of thought. It could be diversity of style. It just is very, very complex. So when you say diversity and inclusion, there's a whole a lot to that package. Yeah, but when there's an, you know, for those companies that do have a, uh, a DNI strategy in play, it's probably more centered around those primary, those primary uh, topics. It could right? be, but 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 each function for diversity and inclusion to be embedded into the way an organization works, each function can take. DNI and layer it on top of what their objective is, meaning, so from a learning standpoint, you can incorporate diverse ways of learning mm -hmm. uh, opportunities for your employees. Mm -hmm. From a commercial standpoint, how do I bring my product to the consumer? How, what pieces can I pull out from the DNI um, language or understanding to make better sales, better connections with my customers? That's a great point. If you're trying to market to a diverse society, which we, we, we all are, right, then how could you do that successfully if you don't have a diverse workforce? Which is why there is such a push for supplier diversity, mm, right? right? Uh, some companies are asking the people that they work with, they want to see who are you working with, right? Because they want to make sure that uh, they're uh, message or their values trickles down to who they're working with. So it's going to matter who you're hiring if you're a third-party contractor working mm -hmm. with a company. They're looking at who who are you using to deliver my product because that actually matters. Yeah. Simone, don't give all of your secrets away here, but but what is step number one for, for an organization to take uh, when, when trying to build a, a, a diversity and inclusion strategy? I think benchmark, looking at what others are doing. I would suggest looking at sites like Diversity Inc. Take a look at what those top 50 companies or the 25 noteworthy companies are doing because they share what they have done to win those awards. So get some ideas from what others are doing and bring that over. You don't have to do everything that someone else is doing, but their ideas 
right. have the conversations and diversify the team that's coming up with the strategy. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's some good, some, some good ideas out there already to go dig up, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I want to say is I, I talked to an organization recently and I asked them if they had a millennial on their board and they were like, what? And so it's just diversify the people coming up with the strategy so you can incorporate different perspectives into that strategy. So um, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Disrupt HR talk last year in Charleston and why that was an important milestone. Oh, that was so exciting. It's because I like to be prepared and I like to show up, you know, I, I'm one of those people with my presentation. I, I know what I want to say, etc. And Disrupt HR is targeted to the HR audience. It is sort of like a, a TED talk for an HR audience, but a message to HR mm -hmm. that's going to disrupt HR. Okay. So I flew to Charleston and I presented, I think it was, um, 12 minutes or something like that where you have to talk about your topic and I really wanted to talk about HR you play such an important role in diversity and inclusion it's not just the person who is the chief diversity officer that's on the hook for modeling an inclusive workspace mm -hmm. every person in the organization and HR you lead the way in that space yeah and so that was what my talk was about and it was just it was very exciting and it was very well received. Yeah. So HR has to carry the torch. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. They have to. They have to role model it. And yeah. so each and every person, whether or not their their job is HR business partner or HR whatever it is, even if it doesn't have like some specific component of diversity and inclusion, they have to take that on and model it for the rest of the organization to catch on. Yeah. Is it true though too that uh, I know with so we always talk about um, so employee well-being and wellness programs, and what we find in there is that if you don't have C-suite, full C-suite buy-in and engagement, okay, CEO, right on down, that that it's probably not going to work, right? Wellness. I imagine the same, and you correct me if I'm wrong again, but uh, the same is true as is with with B and I, right? That. If the, if the leadership of the organization, it's, it's great for HR to try to carry the torch, but if they don't have the C-suite, you know, walking the talk, it's an uphill battle, isn't it? It is, it is. And so um, that is absolutely essential. In fact, there's something called the CEO Action Committee, mm -hmm. and it's about 500 or so CEOs who have signed up to say, we are going to, we're walking the talk. We are going to embed diversity and inclusion into the way our business works. This is very important. And so here's my signature that our company is committed to this. So yes, you do need to have that top buy-in. What I'm saying is additionally at the HR space, it's they not just to, yeah. this, this, this diversity and inclusion team pushing uphill to get people on board. They need support from the entire organization as a matter of fact. Yeah, I just don't want business owners or, or, or C-suite executives to, to, to be off the hook here and think, oh, I just need to pass the torch to HR. Yeah, and no, they, they're not. They, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. not. But but I, I do want to um, call out HR to walk the talk yeah, around inclusion, absolutely. and that was, that's what my talk was about. Yeah. So, Simone, what, what's your one big ask of our listeners? I What I tell my students is that we – all don't get it right when it comes to inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I, I talk about the fact that I, in fact, don't get it right all the time. And I talk about that, how that shows up a lot in dealing with children and how, you know, whether there's this little kid bothering my daughter at school and now it's time to invite for a birthday party and do I invite him or not? And the struggle to be inclusive, mm -hmm. it shows its head all the time. And so what I tell my students and what I want to tell your listeners is that you're going to mess up and you are unknowingly going to make someone feel excluded. But now that you're aware that the potential is there to try your best to be inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. You made that the example of, I mean, but can you go too far? Like, like if there's somebody at school that your kid just, it isn't nice to your kid. 
do you have to invite them to the birthday party? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I felt like I had to. I'm like, oh my God, I teach inclusion for a living. I have to. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'm having the conversation with my fiance and we're talking about it and, 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 and struggling with it. And But, you know, it's like it's the right thing to do. Mm, yeah. But then, you know, it's not letting the kid or the parents off the hook that there's a challenge going on. We still have those type of conversations, yeah. but it's saying... I'm going to be bigger and I'm going to extend the leaf, extend the branch to be inclusive. Yeah, the they point didn't is. They come that, to the party. Well, but, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they extended the invitation. Yeah, yeah. Well, the point is that, that you know, there's always a story behind everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's, you know, if there's a kid in the playground who's misbehaving, there's there's reasons behind Probably that. something else and, going and, on. Right, yeah, there's mm -hmm. something else. And I think the point is we need to be mindful of that. and, and empathetic as, as much as we can and uh, maybe to lead with love a little bit more, right? I love what you just said because we take that from the playground and we bring it to the workplace. Yeah. There's probably stories going on with people that we know nothing about and they're not sharing because this is not the place or they don't feel safe sharing it. But the empathy and the love that you just talked about, what yeah. a beautiful wrap up yeah. to our interview. Um, I, I know we covered everything we had kind of set out to it's covered here, Simone, but we do always end with every guest with some rapid fire questions. Okay. That, that don't think too hard about these. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band or musical artist? I'm, I might be dating myself, but uh, oh God, what do they call? Oh God, I can't remember right now. Okay, let me just say Barris Hammond to keep it moving. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh gosh, now the thing that quickly jumped into my mind was uh, what people are thinking. That would work well on so many levels. Awesome. Yeah. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? Um, I probably would be doing photography. I love uh, taking pictures, so being a photographer. Awesome. And lastly, our, our theme this year at One Digital is being bold. Mm -hmm. So what does being bold mean to you? Oh, it means taking chances. It means showing up. Well, thanks for showing up here. <laughs> Thank you, Simone, so much for joining us and having this important conversation uh, again. For those listening, if you're interested in talking more about diversity and inclusion, please connect with Simone Morris uh, or your local One Digital team. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can be the first to know when the next episode drops. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee, Employee Benefits and HR.